This week we continue our series about me, a missionary, and we say that with an exclamation point as we talk about just some practical ways, how can we share our faith with those who are far from God? This sermon was originally recorded June 7, 2015 at Castle Rock Middle School. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we continue our sermon series, Me, a Missionary, and our, our point with the whole thing is that at the end of this, you can end that phrase with an exclamation point instead of a question mark, like me, a missionary, but we're saying like you are a missionary. And last week we talked about um, like why. Why would God, who loves us, ask us to do things that make us feel so awkward? Like, if God really loved me, um, I wonder if my kids think this as I have them do things that make them feel awkward or stand up in front of people or do a lip sync battle in my living room with guests in town. They, 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 like, if Dad loves me, why would he ask me to do that? And maybe as a Christian, you wonder the same thing. Because witnessing, while you love someone, you want them to go to heaven with you, it really can be awkward. And so last week, we talked about, like, why would we bother? And the reason we say why is because God actually loves people. God actually loves you, God loves the people that you love, and God wants them all to be in heaven with him. God actually came on this earth, God actually died, God actually was perfect, he actually rose from the dead, and he actually wants everybody in heaven with him. These, these are true statements. And th- we'd say, okay, so the why, I think, outweighs even the awkwardness. Does that take away the awkwardness? I moved to just a little history of my awkwardness with evangelism. Um, so when I was in college, we went on a mission trip to go to Grand Junction, Colorado. So this is Pastor Spiegelberg. He's going to be preaching here in July. Um, it was his dad's church. So we went there, and we had a bunch of college guys. The idea was we get to ski, and then we go witness. So we go knock door to door. I thought, oh, I don't really want to do this. This is going to be terrible. People in Grand Junction are like the nicest human. I don't know if nothing else is happening in Grand Junction. People invited us into their home. Like we said, hey, you want to come to church? People did. We had, this is a small church. Like his church is smaller than this half. We had three, four families that came from just knocking on the door and said, hey, do you want to come to our church? I thought, hey, this is how it works, right? People love when you talk about Jesus, right? This is how it works. This is awesome. So then I intern. I, I intern in Thornton, Colorado, and I can just, we didn't go door to door, so thankfully. Um, but we didn't go door to door. We instead went to like the Thornton Fest, I think that's what it's called, or Thornton Days. You know, every, every town has their own. My job as the intern was to wear the appropriately friendly outfit with, like, the logo on it and then try and talk to people because who does not want to talk to a pastor intern at the fair? I, it was so stressful because the line of people who wanted to talk to me was so long. No, it, instead, it's like the most awkward situation ever. I didn't learn my lesson, so when I go to start a church in Seattle, I... Um, I decided, hey, I'm going to knock on doors. So that's how you start churches. I probably knocked on, with other people, 5,000 doors in C- uh, outside of Seattle. That's how you start a church. People didn't invite me in their homes. When I invited them to church, they didn't show up. Like, I was like, what happened? What? what? This is supposed to be really easy. And in fact, I was so scared to even go in my own neighborhood because I was afraid people would recognize me that I went to other neighborhoods until I went to my own neighborhood. And I was a little relieved when they said, we're going to call the HOA if you keep going. I finally went to my own neighborhood, and I got threatened three times. And I said, okay, I'll just go to other neighborhoods. I was kind of happy because it's so awkward. We had Maple Valley days because I learned my lesson about how awesome the witnessing opportunities were in Thornton. So I said, we'll try this. So Maple Valley days is the whole city gets together in our main park. This is where our house backed up to later. And uh, we went there. We set up our booth. 
Do you ever see Independence Day, the movie with like Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and he's uh, Liv Taylor, I think is his wife or his girlfriend. Um, what's that? Armageddon is the name of it? What's Independence? Oh, Independence Day is with Will Smith. There's only six actors in the whole world. Um, so Armageddon, <laughs> my wife knew that. That is hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know it from memory. I feel a little bit more cultured right now. I must have been reading a novel or something at the time when you were watching it. So Armageddon, Armageddon, you know when like the meteor is coming. So now I'm going to mix up the whole story. The meteor is coming and they're drillers, right? They're oil drillers and this meteor is going to blow up all of earth unless someone goes on there and drills it. But there's a problem, right? It breaks like you're expecting and then what do they have to do? Bruce Willis gets in there, sends Ben Affleck home so that he could be with his daughter. And like this is kind of a moment of tears. Um, I worked three shifts at the Maple Valley days because I felt I had to do that because people might lose their faith. If they do, they have to sit in this booth because it was so awkward. I had to save people. I'm like, no, I'll work Friday. That's fine. I'll do it. It's the worst. You know, no one wants to talk to you. There's no decent conversations that happen. You just feel funny. Then I worked Saturday, convinced my wife to come. She was watching Armageddon on Friday. And, <laughs> and then on Sunday, you know, I'd work again. I was afraid, people would say, hey, I'll volunteer. I'm like, are you sure? Have you ever done it before? You know, I'll bring snacks to you. I would go check on them just to make sure they had a pulse when you got there because they might die from this incident. If this is what it meant at the time to be a missionary, you know what? I don't think I'd want to be a missionary. You ever been in an instance like that? If this is what it means, like sitting at a fair with a clipboard, or if this is what it means, like knocking on doors, feeling awkward, because I don't know if I want to be a missionary. So today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says. Here's, here's what it means to try and reach people. It's not clipboards in awkwardness. This is what it means. So we, we're going to look in Colossians chapter 4 uh, where he says this. Before we get there, this is true confessions. Uh, it's been five years since I've taught class before church. And I thought this is great. And then yesterday comes and you're working and working, you're studying, you're studying, and that's the reason why my PowerPoint's out of order. Okay. This is what I want you to do to try and make this real, though. As we try and talk about, um, this isn't just some mystery. Let's just talk to people that we've never heard of. Write down, you got a pen. I know you've got a pen because they came in your bulletin. Write down three people that you know that aren't going to church or that are far from God. Write down, you can put them in code. If it's the person next to you, put it in code. Um, but, you know, put something down, write it down under each of these doors. So write a name. So you might write uh, Jane or Karen. If these are your actual names, that's awesome. Or Uncle Bill. So just write these names down. I'm going to do the same thing, so let's see how long it takes. I did this so that you might uh, have more interest in it. Like if I was going to talk about marathon training, you don't care unless you're training for a marathon. Right now, you've got names of people you care about. And you're saying, like, how exactly do I witness to this person about my faith? So this is what the Apostle Paul says. Um, and I think this is why it's hard. Paul writes a letter. So he's like the missionary of missionaries. 
He travels around. He reaches people in cities, in counties, in countries, in continents. All start with C. I think that's awesome. But he went to actually Europe and Asia, and he went all around, and he, and he witnesses to these people. And there's people that are, we talked about, Jewish, that believe you get right with God by what you do. There's mystics who believe they saw visions of angels. There are people there who had no interest in God. There are pagan people that believed in other gods. All these people are different. And my guess is the list of people you have on your sheet are as different as the list I have. And so how do we reach people that are in different places in life, that have a different history, that have different things? Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's in prison at the time. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Uh, when I grew up, you become a Christian, and you're a Christian, and you think, okay, I've got to share my faith. The most bold witness people are kids, and they just talk to anybody. You're in the grocery line or something, and like, hey, my dad's a pastor. I'm like, hi, I'm pastor guy. You know, they'd be the most, and, and have you ever felt that, like you're on an airplane, and you're like, okay, I've got to share my faith. Have, you're standing next to someone, you're like, I've got to share my faith. There's this kind of guilt, and I never realized until maybe you look here, the door is not always open for witnessing. Just think about something you like. I've given you the example of audible.com. I don't share that with everybody I meet. You know, I'm not in the grocery line. They're like, uh, would you like uh, paper or plastic? I'm like, you ever hear of Audible? No, it's, it's kind of weird, right? But what happens if someone says, I got this really long commute? Then I go, have you ever heard of Audible? You know, then I do it. You know, then it's okay. So the door is not always open, and I think you've probably seen that in your own life. You're saying, okay, um, I, I want to share God's word, but it feels like it would be like a gospel drive-by, like, <laughs> just share Jesus, done. And then you're like, what happened? Like, why, what went wrong with that? And what God is telling us is sometimes the door is open, sometimes the door is closed, and we are praying. This is part of what we do. You have those names under there. You pray, God, give me opportunity for this door to be open so that I can share my faith. Give me opportunity so that I can reach out to someone and it's not so awkward and weird. With that, he says, I want you to be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What's our take home? God opens doors through wise witnessing. The people on your list are different, just like your kids are different. Are your kids all the same? You can't answer that if you have one, right? Are, you, right, are your, are your uh, friends all the same? It applies again. You can't answer that if you just have one. Are your girlfriends all the same? No, we won't go there. No, so, you, right, they're all, everybody's different. My kids are different. They're wired different. They think differently. Your friends are different. The people you work with are different. And when you say, you might have someone who has, uh, is a Christian person, uh, but it seems by Facebook they're starting to fade away from what God says. Maybe you've got an aunt or an uncle who is totally against God's word and says it's all a bunch of myths. Like my friend I told you about just says all of God's word is a myth and they've changed. Maybe you've got someone who really wonders. Maybe you've got someone who says, can you tell me more about what you believe? Maybe you've got someone who, I don't know, a new neighbor moves and you don't even know God opens doors with wise witnessing. And this is the three things I think we want to take away. Invest, invite, evangelize. Believers always invest. 
always. Often we invite and sometimes you evangelize. So we're just going to, for the rest of the sermon, we're just going to touch on these three things. What do we mean by always invest? That's just a fancy way to say love somebody. And when you think of the people on your list, what are ways that you can show your love towards them? It's going to be unique. Just like it's unique in the way that I show love towards my family. You work with someone, a boss. How can you be the best employee your boss has ever had? What does it look like? What does it look like to be the best son your mom's ever had? What does it look like to be the best student your teacher's ever had? Does it mean you grumble about assignments, kids, or you just do it? Maybe it means you write a note at the end of school that says, this is what I really liked about school this year. And that might be the most moving piece of love that that teacher's received that whole year. What, is, what does it look like to be the best boss? What's it look like to be the best neighbor your neighbor's ever had? Looks like my neighbor, Rhonda. She brings us cookies and she shovels our snow sometimes. And so that's what it would look like. But I think as a person, what would it look like if someone moves in next door and I'm going to say, I want to love that person, I'm going to care about that person, not because I've got some like evangelism checklist, not because I just want to save them, but because God says, I love you. He has so filled me up with love that I have opportunity to try and love other people. That's what we mean by invest in people. So you've got that names on your list. What does it look like to invest in love in those people? Sometimes, though, uh, it means, and oftentimes we invite. There's something to, you could see the model that uh, Nathaniel had as he invites his fr- uh, brother Philip. They're going to see Jesus, and he says, hey, I have just, I think I found the Messiah. And he says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And do you know his brother's reply? Yeah, does anything good come from Franktown? No, he says, does anything good come from Nazareth, which is like this podunk town? And he's like, and then he says what? Come and see. There's going to be opportunities that you have as you invest in people, and we pray that God opens doors to just invite and say, hey, I don't know what that looks like. Is it a text message? Is it sitting down over lunch and saying you should come to my church? I love my church. I think you'd appreciate it. Hey, next week we're talking about this. You should come. We're doing a Bible class on world religions. You might be interested. Is that what it looks like? I don't know. But we always invest. Sometimes we invite or often we invite, and sometimes we evangelize. Why is that? Uh, has anyone read the book uh, by Rosaria uh, Butterfield? So she was um, not a believer, and, and this is on your list. I'm guessing you maybe put low-hanging fruit on your list as far as people that you think might actually come to church. Is that true? You might be asking someone who's like next to you, and you're like, I already got that one, check. Um, That's generally what we want to do. Like if I was going to say, you got to go find 10 people who want to go run the Tough Mudder with you, You, you're going to pick the people most likely to do it, right? You've got some people that when you told them you're going to run like a half marathon and go through obstacles, they would be like, you are insane. Is that the people? No, you wouldn't do that. You pick the people like, hey, I think they might actually do this. Um, I might offer Audible to the people who might actually try it. Sometimes we do that with evangelism, and I think the story of Rosaria, someone recommended the book to me. It's called um, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. So Rosaria, right here, did not always look like this. Her hair used to be really short. Um, She's a lesbian who was the head of women's studies, so she's a feminist. I mean, that's an understatement. She's the head of women's studies at Syracuse, English teacher, and uh, a lesbian. So she wrote these articles she wrote an article, and she got mail that just poured in. Now, you can imagine 
what this male was on two sides. One side that's saying, um, over here, there's, she had the bucket. She would get the letters in the mail. She'd drop it in. One side would say, like, I so agree with you. That is so right. Your views and everything is perfect. The other side was anti-Rosaria, anti-lesbian, anti-feminism, Christians who were just smashing her. And they just went in these two piles. She said, it's really easy. And then she got this letter from a guy named Ken. And she, she claims in the book that she's pretty particular about her desk space, and it's perfectly clean, and this letter just sat in the middle because she didn't know what to do with it. And the reason she didn't know what to do with it is Ken didn't fit in this category, and he didn't fit in this category. He was in between. He just wanted to talk. And so that led to uh, dinner, and she went over to his house, and she describes in the book, it's pretty fascinating, how this all started. In multiple years, he went there, and this is her statement. You can imagine, as she heard about Christians who would say that the uh, man is head of the house and all these other things, but she writes, if Floyd, that's his wife, if Floyd was a submissive wife, she was also gifted, smart, perceptive, well-read, and a great cook. If Ken was a Bible-thumping pastor, he was also a good listener and a husband who valued highly his wife's counsel. These people simply don't fit the stereotype, I simply don't know what I'm to do with this. Like his letter, Ken won't be filed away easily so that I could just go on with my life. There was no invitation to church. And she goes on to say this. If Ken and Floyd had invited to church at that first meal, I would have never come back. It would have been too threatening, too much. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. Over countless bottles of wine and Floyd's home-cooked meals, Ken shared Jesus. And a year later, God changed her heart. Some people in your life, it's real easy, and you can just invite them to church, and they say, hey, that makes sense. You know, I haven't been there in a while. There's a, a sense that I should be in church. Some people, that's not their background. Their background, they got burned by the church. Maybe an expert like me said things that he shouldn't have said, or she shouldn't have said, and this led to frustration. Maybe they had hypocritical parents. Maybe their last interaction with a, they had a Christian boyfriend or a husband who was abusive. I don't know their story, but sometimes like in the case of Rosaria, you can't just say, come to my church and I'm going to hand this off like a baton to my pastor. Sometimes you actually have to bring the church to them. So what does that look like? I doubt Ken and Floyd had a big script that they followed and said like part one, this is what we're going to talk about. But I'm guessing they did talk about two things we touched on last week. Most of the world, and as we talked about Judaism this morning, most of the world sees their relationship with God by built on how they do things. Do enough things and you're right with God. Christianity flips that. And you have an opportunity to actually share a mystery with people that says despite your sin, despite the pains that you have, despite the things you've done, there is a God who says, I've actually come, I've actually lived, I've actually died, I've actually risen to take all those sins away. Always invest often invite, sometimes you have to bring the church to them. Does it sound familiar? Because we have a Jesus who did the same thing. We have a Jesus who invested in people and loved people that many that seemed pretty unlovable, he loved them and brought them in. He invited them and he ultimately told them an amazing message that changed lives. There's an essay that came out in, uh, this is more than 20 years ago, called The Star Thrower by Lauren Eisley. Uh, Does anyone know this one? I think you'll recognize the story because it's been retold in 900 sermons, but I still think it hits home. 
So there's a beach. The kids are here, so I'll tell the story to the kids. Adults, you can just listen if you want. There's a beach. And on that beach, there's all these starfish. So that happens on the Atlantic Ocean sometimes. So um, about twice a year in different parts of the Atlantic Ocean, I think it happens in Britain too, the starfish wash up on the shore. And the starfish need to be essentially in water for them to survive because they start to dry up. Have you ever seen like a dry starfish maybe at a museum or something? They're kind of stiff and dry. The same thing happens. We can hang out in the sun and it's fine, but they dry out like a worm. And there's a girl walking on the beach. This just happens in the story. There's a girl walking on the beach, and she's taking the starfish, and she's throwing them back in the ocean. That's a lot of starfish, though, right? Like, it's fun to skip stones for a little bit, and there's a lot of starfish. So a man is walking by, and he says to the girl, like, why? You're not going to save them all. Like, why are you bothering? And the girl picks up one of the starfish, and she throws it in the ocean. She says, but I save that one. You're not going to save maybe everyone even on your little list. We're not going to save the whole world. I mean, we know that. History shows that. But God still loves the people that you encounter. God still loves the people that you have on your list. God still has died for them. Some that maybe seem easy. You invite them to church, they show up. Some are going to be pretty hard cases. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what Ken and Floyd felt as they are reaching out to the head of women's studies who is a lesbian and has no interest in God. But over the course of time, the Holy Spirit works. You can't save the whole world, but through God's word, we pray that he can use your investment, your invitations, and your evangelism to save at least some. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes it's so intimidating when we look at the awkwardness of evangelism. Take that awkwardness away and give us open doors that are opportunity to share our faith. Help us be wise, be the best neighbors our neighbors had, be the best parents our kids have ever had, to get a chance to let our actions mimic what you say in your word so that when those doors open, we can say there's something that um, I have and there's something I believe in that means something to you. Help this message continue to change lives as it has throughout the centuries and help it be something that we can take part of as these doors open and people hear your word and know the peace that we know. Amen.